BeastNet is brought to you by James Safety Services in partnership with OCR Bunny and OCR Strong. Here we discuss all things OCR and fitness related. Welcome to BeastNet. Today on this special edition of BeastNet, Pretty Mike talks with Coach Megan Beck, the OCR trainer, catching up on the last month, talking about your lower legs and how to be more effective on the trail. How have you been? I saw you did a, a race that looked amazing. Uh, um, yeah, I ran abominable snow race over the weekend. I saw that and the pictures look amazing. I mean, they look cold. The but. pictures don't even do it justice. It This race was so phenomenal. It was your typical race-ready obstacle, mm-hmm. you know, Sid from Battle of the Lions. They're one of their typical races in the sense that they have the most innovative of obstacles. They're always coming up with something new and challenging. But then you add in the elements of snow, sub-freezing temperatures, and it did not disappoint. And I know a lot of people probably hear like, why would we want to be in the snow or the freezing cold? Yes. But you don't even pay attention to it once you get going. There wasn't really much slipping and sliding if you had decent trail shoes on and your body will naturally feel like it's 20 degrees warmer Mm -hmm. while you're running. So you don't even feel the cold. At one point, I actually said, I wish it was colder. And then the snow started falling. And of course, the final obstacle was steel grips. They had been out there for days and a whiteout conditions so it got to the point where trying to grip that obstacle it was just freezing your hands and um, there was just ice build up all along them and sadly not many people were getting past that one once the snow started coming down yeah. but nobody was getting discouraged by it it wasn't one of those things where people were beating themselves up they literally said well you know I know I can do this but the elements just aren't allowing me to. It's the first race of the season. We don't need to get all upset with ourselves. It's just about having fun. And that is exactly what this race was. I mean, right before you go to the final rig, you go sledding down the hill. At one point, you drag a tube up the hill and then you go off for like two miles and then you come back up and you get your tube back and you go back down the hill. It was so incredible, but talking to Bill, the race director, the owner Mm -hmm. of um, Abominable Snow Race, when he asked what I thought of the race, I said, and this is completely true because I was telling everybody this all weekend, I said, I have never seen a race that pulled out so many volunteers. I showed up on Friday to help build. I told them I would come out and help build. I was doing their training videos for a couple of months. And I said, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to come out. I'm going to help do whatever I need to, to. Yeah. And I showed up on Friday. They said, we're going to be there at eight o'clock. I rolled in at 815 because, you know, traffic from yep. Milwaukee, whatever it happens. There was a giant crowd of volunteers and people just kept coming at one point they needed to relocate that final rig which is like a 30 foot rig with you know i think there was six lanes of race ready grip attachments everything was set up 
it probably weighed a couple tons and they managed to get all of the volunteers to come out and pick up the obstacle and move it 10 feet. You would not be able to do that at any race no. with the amount of volunteers they usually pull out the day before because everybody's like, oh, well, it's the day before a race. I don't want to help out. I'm resting. But so many people showed up. They had extra hands for anything they needed. They got everything set up well before they needed to. And then they went off and they did their packet pickup the night before and they had plenty of people to help out there. It was phenomenal. And then on race day, same thing. They had every obstacle staffed with multiple volunteers. They had volunteers running around making sure that every single place they had a fire to keep you warm was continuing to be stocked with wood. You know, plenty of people at the finish lines, at the merch tents, at the registration at all of the vendor booths, just helping out any way they could. And then I went back on Sunday because I was going to get some obstacle videos and even more volunteers showed up to help tear down. <laughs> I was in shock. This is exactly what we want to see in the community. And I always say you can tell a lot about how awesome a race is by their community. Yeah, yeah. like... We love the amazing obstacles. We love the amazing course. We love their swag. I mean, abominable. They hand their podium finishers literally a stack of cash and a bottle of bourbon. I'm there. And <laughs> I'm training because I want that stack cash and a bottle of bourbon. You, you had me at bourbon. So. But the fact that the best part of the race was their community. I mean, people were out there for hours on end in whiteout conditions after they raced, just sitting around the fire, you know, drinking a beer or uh, some hot chocolate, you know, eating from the food trucks, cheering people on as they were doing multiple laps. It was so incredible. This is the community we want to continue to see. And honestly, it's the you don't get this community feel anywhere other than local races. Yeah. And that's one thing I, I have to say. I mean, that's one thing I, I, when I first started doing this, you know, before I even did any of the big races, I did a bunch of them that don't even exist anymore. Hell run, you know, a bunch of those that aren't even around anymore. And you would see that, you know, mm -hmm. Survivor. I remember the first time I did Survivor, it was one of those, you know, I think I ended up coming home and didn't even realize that I had like six medals in my pocket because I was at the final <laughs> like handing out medals. And when I walked away, I didn't even realize I still had more in my pockets that I was using that, you know, because I was handing them out. You know, and that's what I loved was that community. And mm -hmm. that's one thing I have noticed since COVID, that community hasn't been there as much. Right. That's where we're, and it's amazing. So great to see it coming back up here. I, it's still not coming back up here from what I've seen, but we haven't had a race yet this year. So who knows? But I know like even the big, the big companies, a lot of times we still, we would be stacked with volunteers. And now, I mean, they're, they're screaming, trying to get people volunteers. They're offering, you know, double codes and everything else just to try and get people to be out there and volunteer. And I'm like, not to sound bad, but if you don't take care of your volunteers, they're not going to take care of you. Oh yeah. And you have to have that community. And that's what I'm seeing right now from a lot of the big ones, the ones that I deal with the most, you know, one of the ones that I've volunteered forever and been an ambassador for, I'm done because mm -hmm. I'm done with the way that they treat their, their, their volunteers and their ambassadors. Yeah. Like, Nope. I will go and I'll go somewhere that will treat me and give me that community that I'm here for. I can get an obstacle course race all over the country. Mm -hmm. 
but it's that community. And when you treat your, your volunteers and your community, right. You know, you get like, you're talking about it abominable. I mean, that shows, like you said, that shows how great a company is and how great a, a race is, is what their, how their community backs them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was just honestly one of the best race experiences I've had. And I feel like I say this every time after a local race and each yeah. race just keeps getting better and better. And I think, I mean, especially in that Chicagoland area where they do have such incredible races, they know what it takes to keep those races alive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Frontland and Highlander were there. They had tents at Abominable. You know, they had their mascots there. They had you know, all of their crew, they're running and hanging out, supporting one another. They're all friends. And, you know, the volunteers that are out for Frontline and Highlander were out there for Abominable and vice versa. And they are building such a strong community, even though at the end of the day, like if, you know, the Abominable crew is not getting money from Islander or Frontline in the sense of like sharing profits. They know that helping each other out is only going to continue to strengthen the community. So yeah, we're going to promote these other races because the more we can promote them, the more we strengthen our entire community and we're going to keep everything running. And they really have it figured out out there and they're only going to continue to get stronger and stronger and especially as you know race ready obstacles said all of their built crew i mean justin bobby all of them as long as they're continuing to come out and build for these races the obstacle quality is only going to continue to go up and up and up yeah well i mean that's it you get that i mean like you said it's the community of not just like us racers it's Mm -hmm. the community of the races getting together and i think that's where we've had the biggest disconnect like up here in the northwest we don't have any of that it's Mm -hmm. like this race over here doing this this one over here nobody we've tried as beast net to help some of these guys like work together but a lot Mm -hmm. of times it's like oh no we're not going to deal with competition they're not on the same weekend as you they're not competition you're just building up the the you know the community yeah. All of a sudden they go do yours and like, oh my God, this is so much fun. I want to go do this, this one over here. Or they do the other guys that you've helped and they're like, oh my God. And you found a new obstacle course racer who's now wants to do all of them. And then there you got more people at yours who are like, hey, let's go do this. I did this one over here. Here's another one over here. Let's go try it out. You know, and maybe you you build that community up. It's like, you know, anything. It's, you know, when I first got into it, that's how I got into it. A friend of mine's mm-hmm. like, hey, you want to go do this thing? And I'm like, uh, okay. And then I started doing it and then I got, you know, more of my friends are like, oh my God, this is so much fun. Come try this one. You know, let's go check this one out. Let's go check that one out. But that's kind of how, you know, they're doing it. Like we're going to go support Highlander is going to support, you know, the other ones. And then everyone, you know, and then Abominable supports Highlander. And then I just, it, it builds that community. And that's, I hate that about like our community in a lot of ways, not just OCR, but everything where everyone's always like, it's got to be us against them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, if we all joined forces, we'd be unstoppable, you know, with a lot of things. It's like, I see it a lot. And and partly why it really hits me now is I do comedy as you know, some people in the podcast know as Brandon Valentine. So that Brandon Valentine face you see, that's me too. But (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I see it constantly in the comedy community where comedians are constantly battling each other. And it's like, you realize if we all just 
banded together and we could get these bars to pretty much do what we want. We could get these venues to do what we want, but constantly undercutting each other, constantly battling with each other. We're just making it more difficult, you know? And I think it's the same thing with the races. If they all just banded together, the little ones, you know, they can make it make a huge thing and make a huge go at it. A rising tide lifts all boats. Yes, it does. Um, yeah. So one of the things I'm working on right now, now that Abominable is done, even though it's sounding like we're going to continue on with tr- some training stuff after. Nice. Uh, one one of the other things that I'm shifting it more attention to is helping out to organize the New England OCR Expo. So we did it in 2020. Mm-hmm. And it was predominantly just little companies that help support the OCR community. And then the couple little local races that we have here coming in for one day and just like having a celebration. And it was a week before COVID shut the world down. So things were a little iffy. Now we're bringing it back this year, but we're trying to make it bigger. So, you know, we've reached out to the OCRWCs, the Savage Races, the biggest surprise, and I am so happy about it. Um, the biggest surprise was I reached out to my contacts at Spartan and they sent me right to Joe's number two. And he said, yes, we want to help out. Spartan is really committed to building a stronger community right now. This is one of the things that Dan is taking an initiative on to build a stronger community as a whole. Mm -hmm. So hearing you know, we're going to have some smaller local races. We are talking to other bigger races to try and bring them in. It didn't scare them off. They said, no, we want to help you. Here is how we are going to help you. And Spartan is actually now thinking more bigger picture about the sport, which is incredible to see. It is awesome. One of the people I was talking to at Abominable this weekend They were saying how, you know, they've ran two trifectas and they want to do more. And they came out to Abominable because they really enjoy Spartan, but they're so upset because they, they never get races in the Chicago area. The Midwest does not see races. And I stopped him. I said, what are you talking about? He said, Chicagoland is hands down the best region for obstacle course racing right now. He said, we need you to keep running Spartan, yes, but don't get discouraged when you don't see Spartan coming to your area. Go to the locals because the locals have the better obstacles. They have the better mm-hmm. community. They have the better courses. It's not going to be your cookie cutter. Here's your monkey bar. Here's your multi-rig. Here's your Olympus. Here's your twister. Yep. It's there's a little spin on absolutely everything so it doesn't look like what you're used to and that is what obstacle course racing is about it's about overcoming new challenges so you know yeah spartan is working to continue to build up more community the locals are also doing it and don't just look to that one race brand that you really love you know go on ocr buddy and Put in your state, put in your region. I love OCR, buddy. Else is coming here because I promise you a good amount of regions have local races. Sadly, it sounds like not the Pacific Northwest. It, it's, we, we had right before COVID, we started having an, a, 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 you know, 
a resurgence. We were getting some. And, you know, there, there's a really good OCR team here called Beast OCR that yep. I'm a member of. Uh, BeastNet podcast, we do stuff with Beast OCR sometimes. Um, in fact, it kind of BeastNet and Beast OCR kind of formed together. Um, but we've kind of taken separate paths eventually. But it's one of those things that we started getting them and we were working to help try and build those to get some of those. But then COVID just kind of wiped them all off the map because most of them were just in that infancy stage that they couldn't handle, you know, a hit like COVID. Um, there's a couple really good ones around here that we we go to. Some of the swamps, one that's amazing in April. I mean, there's some fun ones around here, but for OCRs, mostly we just get the big guys. I mean, mm -hmm. we don't even get... Um, we don't get rugged up here. We don't get, I mean, we do in Oregon. We have to go to, I have to go to Portland. So three hours away to go to rugged. Um, uh, Survivor used to come up here, but I haven't seen them in a couple of years. Um, there was a, a couple smaller ones that come up here, you know, but nothing. I mean, we get, we pretty much get Spartan and Tough Mudder. And then last year they did Spartan and Tough Mudder was supposed to be on the same weekend. Oh yeah. I remember and we're that. like, really? You, you're going to. You're literally owned by the same man. Yeah. And you're going to like make us our, try and figure out if we're going to go to Oregon or Seattle. And then they couldn't understand why the Oregon Tough Mudder wasn't getting anyone signed up. I'm like, because you have the trifecta weekend in Seattle. It's We only get so many a, a year and you just put them on the same weekend. You and guys are just, probably on the same Slack. Yeah. Channels. Like literally scheduling. Hey, Tough Mudder scheduling. What's your... Yeah. What, what what are you looking like in the Pacific Northwest? Oh, we're on this weekend. Oh, we locked in our venue too. Okay. Uh, we'll both talk to somebody and see what we can do. Okay. Sounds well, good. And that, well, the hard part be. was, is like the one when they did the, the one in Oregon, the Portland one, they moved. That was normally the weekend of the Spartan in Portland. So they moved this Portland Spartan to later and then moved the Seattle earlier. So it was on the same weekend. And we're like... I how hard is it to be like, okay, venue, what three dates work yeah. best for you? Okay, Spartan venue, what three dates work best for you? Okay, Tough Mudder, these are our three dates. What are your three dates? Oh, it looks like this Did date and this date overlap. Okay, so I'm going to have you do this one and then we'll take the other one. Bam. And like so that's where it gets hard in Seattle too is because we had in now for for Spartan and Tough Mudder both, Spartan was in August in Portland, and then the or was in Seattle in August, and then three weeks later we had it in Portland, and then the week after that we had Tough Mudder in Seattle. So with all within like a month and a half of each other. So and that's all we got from the big guys. So it was those those weekends. So for like a month and a half. So that's why a lot of people are like, why have you gotten someone to triathlons and everything? Because I didn't have, I wanted to do something and I got tired of running marathons and doing road races. Mm -hmm. and I wanted something different. So, which actually by the time this airs, I should have my new bike. So, yay. So I'm heading up to Canada on Saturday to go get it. But I Amazing. have my wife at the border because she can't cross. Oh, okay. Well, we're getting a, we have a, a timeshare up there so we're going to go up friday stay at the timeshare she's going to stay at the timeshare while i go across the border to go pick it up so okay because i have the correct washington stupid with the licenses you either your normal our normal licenses aren't good enough to cross the border you is it like to, that real id thing yeah you have to pay for the extra one 
which I have because I go on to military bases a lot and do other stuff. So I have mm-hmm. their enhanced license so I can cross. And our passports expired last year. We haven't renewed. Oh, okay. I was going to say, can't so, you just use the passport? Yeah, they expired last year and we haven't renewed them yet. So Okay. I'm I like, thought well, you needed a passport to cross the border now. If you have the real ID, you can get across. Oh, okay. So, and I have, the, I have the enhanced. I, I paid extra for mine. So my license a year or two months ago was $280. So. Yeah, well, I think everybody's going to need to get a real ID eventually. I, I know they keep pushing it back, but yeah, they keep pushing it back to Washington. A lot of states, it's actually just the real ID is just part of their normal ID. So it should be. It should be. But I don't understand why there's two. It's like, yeah. but it is what it yeah. is. So I'm going to go get my my new tri bike. But that's one of the reasons why I started doing triathlons, because I wanted more of a challenge than just running. You know, I wanted, I missed the obstacle. So I'm like, well, what else can I do? Oh, hey, let's go do triathlons. I can swim and bike and everything else. And I like the trail runs like Sisu, but this year right now, all I'm signed up for is Sisu and I'm going to sign up for an Ironman. That's it. I don't I know. Mean, I mean, you should probably come out to Massachusetts and run the final fit challenge. I want to. When's that? Uh, April 15th. Oh, that's a little close, but we'll have to look. But I mean, there's like the three mile single lap. There's a multi-lap option. And then there's a 12 hour and 24 hour ultra. So there are options for everybody. It's the final one. It's also the Boston Marathon weekend. So I I told some people if they wanted to double dip, sign up for the BAA 5K because that day is also the 10th anniversary of the marathon bombings. Mm Mm-hmm. So the 5K is on the morning of Saturday, the 15th, as well as fit is Saturday, the 15th. But because fit is going all day, you can start at any time of the day. So you can go run a 5K in Boston, drive the hour to Cumberland, Rhode Island, and you can go do the three mile lap of fit or whatever else. And then you can hang out, go to the marathon expo, you know, see all there is for Boston and, you know, celebrate marathon weekend. Yeah, because my goal is eventually run at least some kind of 5K or something in every state. So, well, there you go. That would technically cover two states in one day. (laughs) So, that would be a fun one. Yeah, I got to figure that one out. I like I said, I have no, I have not traveled because we've been talking, you know, we're supposed to be be moving to Texas and it's a little, things are a little bit on hold at the moment, but trying to make a few things figure out because of the housing market and a few things and work. But, it's still going to happen. So that's kind of the one thing. So all my races have been put on hold except for the, like the, the two might A and B. Yep. All the rest of them, if they happen, they happen. If not, I mean, I have Sisu is B the Ironman's A. Yeah. So, but the one thing I got to figure out is where I'm going to be. Cause I, we talked about, I want to do Salem instead of Seattle. Yep. But if we're already in Texas, I'm not going to be able to fly up here for Sisu and then fly back two weeks later to do. Mm-hmm. To, to Oregon so it might end up being Seattle again but I've just gotta I think I'm gonna try and see if I can find another 70.3 maybe not an Ironman but a 70.3 and beat it yeah or then just to kind of get a get my head in the game but with the new bike hopefully I need to get out more I am actually moving my exercise bike into the house out of the garage because that's my biggest excuse the garage is cold <laughs> <laughs> yeah um I can't use the treadmill in, in this without warming up the garage because the treadmill sticks when it's cold oh okay so i have to but if i the bike if i move it in there's a spot i can put it in the living room and i can put it off to the side and use the bike and because it's not as big as a treadmill and i can get more into that and 
you know, I've got my plan, you know, I've been doing the other workouts, you know, more lifting gets in the muscle build and all that. Good. Staying away from the scale because it's not liking me. So I don't know. It's walking season. It is. Don't worry about it. Take progress photos. Don't step on the scale. Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing it in other ways. I'm seeing like my chest and arms are getting bigger. You know, Mm -hmm. my stomach's getting a little smaller, but I mean, it's just, you know, of course the muscle weighs more than fat, but we'll get there where where I want to be. I mean, it's just a matter of, um, the hard part is, is I've, I've taken your advice. I've been watching. I changed the face on my watch so that I can see my heart rate. You know how hard it is to try and run in zone two. Oh, I know. Trust me. I get this from all of my clients. They're like, oh my gosh, I have to like walk just to stay in zone two. Mm -hmm. Said, Hey, I completely understand. Trust me. Some people, it takes a couple of years based on, you know, their breathing and their conditioning level. Get being cognizant of it is the first step. And then learning how to, you know, maybe power hike or power walk in zone two. And when you feel like that's comfortable and, you know, your heart rate's starting to drop down a little bit, Stay at your walking gait or pace, but change to a running gait. And they're like, oh my gosh, as soon as I go to a jogging gait, my heart rate jumps right back up. And it's like, yeah, I know this. This is normal. Unless you've had a lot of practice with zone two running, it takes a little bit of time to catch up. But I promise it's working. Even if you don't think it's working because your body wants to jump up, it is working. It's just one of those when I, I really pay attention to it. And it's like, all of a sudden, the second I go, like you said, the second I step up into a jog, I'm up to like a zone three or almost sometimes zone four. But then it's like, okay, I need to bring it back down. But doing it a couple times now, because I've done it a few, uh, quite a bit, is I can feel it. Mm-hmm. Without having to look at my watch, I can be like, I'm going too high. I need to slow down. One thing people don't realize when they're trying to stay in zone two is that any little stress reaction is going to spike their heart rate. Mm -hmm. So if they're so stressed because they're not getting in zone two or they're overthinking this zone two, it's going to spike their heart rate up again. So I tell them, yeah, I want you to know where your zone two is. I want you to strive for it, but don't overthink it. Don't overstress it. Give a deep exhale, shake out your hands, you know, turn on a podcast and start talking to yourself if you need to. And that's me. I've actually, I've had to, I had to change the music. Yeah. Because my music puts me where I want to move and puts me into a zone like three or four. So Mm -hmm. I had to change it and do like you suggested, actually drop down to podcasts to where it's not something, there's no beat for my brain. Mm -hmm. And you don't realize how much, when there's a beat to the music you're listening to, how much you start running to that beat. And because I'm so used to, you know, marathon running and stuff like that. And that's what my, my playlist is set for. So it's a higher beat music. It's a lot of like Ailstorm, The Who, stuff like that. That's a lot higher beat. I love that you just pulled out some pirate metal. Oh, yeah. Oh, Ailstorm, I love it. What's amazing, too, is my kid was playing. It's a Ragnarok because I got him the VR. Yeah. Ragnarok. And I'm like, oh, hey, that's Ailstorm, Mexico. And he's like, how do you what do you think I listen to when I run? (laughs) It's Ailstorm, Mexico, you know with an anchor is one of my favorite songs I actually have that one play when I come out on comedy shows (laughs) that's funny when I was in South Carolina visiting my family I was talking to my nephew and he's 14 
And I'm like, hey, what like what kind of music are you into now? And he's like, I like pirate metal. And I'm like, oh yeah, like Alestorm? And he's like, I don't know, I like things on video games. So I now in this day and age, you can't mm-hmm. gift somebody CDs. Yeah. Like you used to be able to. Like he only knows the music from video games. So I wanted to get him an Alestorm CD so he could start to relate. Yeah. you know who the musicians are and i couldn't because everything is now virtual so instead i bought him a jolly roger nice yeah so yeah he plays a game it's called ragnarok it's a drum game on the vr and they play a lot of the 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 pirate metal and i'm like yeah i love he's that like i like he's like i forget that you listen to this stuff i'm like yeah pirate metal i mean you know i, I love could, all that i couldn't take it seriously the first time i listened to it i saw them at warped tour and i was like it's really pirate metal mm-hmm. it is but now like respect respect yeah like i said i live the age the beat is great to run to and then i like i said the who is another one that's a really good one to run to and when i say the who for those listeners i'm not talking about w-h-o it's <laughs> the who is an h-u it's a whole it's like an aboriginal i think they're a i think australian and new zealand band and it's all like or it might be Samoan. I can never remember it, but they play a didgeridoo. That's why I keep thinking Australian. But yeah, it's a very interesting, but they have a nice, the beat, those, the, the pirate metal and a lot of those have that beat that just kind of keep yeah. it going. But like I said, when you're listening to them, you want to go to that beat, Yeah, you know? And then, so I kind of have to, I've, like I said, listen to podcasts, drop back and get into, you know, because I think back and it's like when I ran my marathon, you know, the last marathon I really did, well, um, I probably was at his own too most of the time, but I mm-hmm. finished in like four hours and 39 minutes because I had been training so hard. I knew how to keep my breathing, breathing where it needed to be. I just never looked at my watch to see it. So now mm-hmm. I know, okay, I know what it feels like to be in zone two. And that's, that's what it took the first couple of times is to get to that point where I know what it feels like. Okay, yeah. what zone two feels like, and I know I, now I need to figure out how to stay there. Mm-hmm. Because that's, that's when I swim too. When I did the swim and the Ironman, that's how I once I knew I once I felt to get comfortable and got into zone two, that's when I was good. Yeah. I mean, synchronizing your perceived exertion with your heart rate is one of the best things you can do, but it takes a lot of practice. Mm-hmm. Eventually, when you're running, you're going to be able to say, okay, I feel like, you know, I'm about 162 or whatever else. Like I, okay, I feel like I'm in the 160s. I feel like, you know, okay, I'm a little higher than zone two. I need to pull back. My breathing's a little too labored. I can't quite talk. I know I'm a little too high. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, if I can talk to this person next to me while I'm racing, clearly I'm not going hard enough. Yeah, and, I need to push them, but. You know, is, is this a place where I can push or do I need to hold back a little bit more? And conversely, if you're running up onto an obstacle and you feel like you might need a little time to recover, pull back a little bit and talk to the person next to you because mm-hmm. that's going to require more oxygen. That's going to bring your heart rate down. And that's where a lot of people that, you know, forget. I mean, that's one thing when I was running the one and I keep thinking back, it's the the tunnel marathon where I did it in like 439. It was, I remember that one quite a bit, quite well of keeping track of in my brain. Okay. Where am I at? Cause there was nobody with me. I was alone and I could mm-hmm. just think about, okay, where am I at? You know, how's my breathing? Oh, it's starting to get a little high. Let's bring myself down a little bit, you know, and a lot of that. And I really paid attention on that one. 
you know, and how I was doing. Cause I wanted, you know, I knew what my goal was, mm-hmm. you know, my goal was less than five hours, you know, and I knew what it was so I could watch my watch and be like, okay, I know if I push too hard, I'm going to blow myself out and I'm going to have problems. So as long as I'm keeping this pace and I knew what my pace was and I was watching on my watch, okay, my pace, I'm right where I need to be to stay at that under five hours. So, mm-hmm. because before that, what's funny is a lot of people don't know is before I, two weeks before I did that marathon, my goal was less than six. Oh, wow. And then I went and I ran and did a practice like two or three weeks. It was three weeks beforehand. You know, I did my long run and I actually ran a full marathon, just mm-hmm. you know, the distance, just to get in my brain to see where I was at. Cause I hadn't ran that distance in a long time. And I did it in like four fifty eight. Wow. And I was like, oh, well, I think my goal of six hours is going to be a little too high. So, and that's when I dropped my goal down to five. Cause I remember, mm-hmm. cause I was running, cause I ran from my house and I just ran 26 miles. <laughs> and I pretty much told my wife, I'm like, hey, be here. I knew where 26 miles, about where it would be. I'm like, be here at one o'clock. And then as I'm running, I'm looking at my time and I'm like, sending a message is you might want to be there at noon. <laughs> I think hey Siri call my wife tell her to come earlier oh my god my Siri just started going off (laughs) I have to watch that I had to turn mine off because when I teach I I mentioned that and there's been a couple times I've done it my phone's like made phone calls but yeah that's funny so I mean it's one of those things like I said that zone two and it's you don't think about how much getting that under control and staying rather than spiking and coming back down which is how I normally would run Mm-hmm. And how I first started running, I would spike and then walk and then spike and then walk, which I mean, is kind of the fart like a little bit, but a little yeah. extreme. Well, with but, fart licks, you want more structure yes. behind your intervals. Yeah. And mine was fart licks with no structure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When and I, I, I can always what... tell with my clients if they're struggling to run because they'll do the interval work and I'm like mm, okay and I see, know for me, that's when I started yeah that's oh, how I, I think started a lot of people started there I mean couch to 5k really coined their method and it got a lot of people thinking okay I need to do intervals I'm never going to be able to run if I don't do intervals and it's like well but no you can you got to walk before you can run yes you got to walk faster before you can run. You got to run slow before you can run fast. So build up that way. And see what it was for me is the way I kind of built it was when I first started running, I would say, okay, you know, for every like three minutes I'd run, I'd walk two. Mm-hmm. And then I'd run three. And most of it was on the treadmill, you know, when I first started three minutes and then I'd walk two and then three minutes and then I'd walk two. And then eventually it was four minutes and I'd walk one. Mm-hmm. And then I just kept like ex- extending out how for long I was, you know, and not necessarily running, like jogging, whatever pace I decided was my run pace, mm-hmm. you know, and then I would have that faster pace and then the slower pace, but I would make sure to keep myself at those. And then eventually, and then what I ended up doing when I started running again this time is I had a trail that I ran constantly every day was the same trail and I would pick points on the trail. Like, okay, I'm going to start running here. And I'm going to run to this point. And then the next day, like, how did I feel when I did that? Okay. I felt fine when I hit that second point, I'm going to extend out. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to run farther this next time. And then, but I would still have my start time from the, you know, wouldn't change my starts, you know, so my next start would still be wherever it was. So it would just shorten the distance too. I would go farther and then shorten my distance between runs. And then eventually it got to a point where I was just running the whole thing. Good. And that's kind of where I got mine was it was, and that's where I think a lot, I, I made mistakes when I did it years ago was I never did that point where eventually I just got rid of the walk and kept having my brain. This is how it's going to go. And I'm just going to keep extending how far I'm running. But eventually that running is just going to all of a sudden now, you know, where my stop point is on this one has now surpassed my start point on the next one. So I just keep going until the next stop point. So and then I need to get back to that. So this, you know, I took too long of a break in the last couple of weeks. I've been hitting more, going and running more, doing more workouts and everything else, getting myself back into that. Good. The rhythm of doing it. Now, because the focus isn't on the Ironman. So like we said, you know, my A race is the Ironman. That's one of the reasons for the new bike. I'm going to get another bike. So I have two to practice with get ready with and the new one's a, an actual tri bike so it's designed to lean oh, okay. through all that so it's a yeah it's pretty um yeah. you'll see it once i once i get it and get pictures so no more messing up the pedals in the middle actually of i just and i just got mine back the other bike back from having the pedals fixed so <laughs> i had a full tune up and the pedals fixed so God. that is now fixed so now my i my feet don't stick um, I can pop them out a lot quicker. I mean, and it's going to take a lot more practice. That's one thing I made sure of the, the my stationary bike that I have also has the clips Good. so that I'm getting used to while I'm riding. I'm wearing the shoes that I normally wear and I'm practicing popping my feet out of the clips to make Good. sure I'm not, you know, I'm getting into, you know, used to doing that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a lot of the, just the the little things. And that's, I think what we forget in a lot of this, you know, and that's was me. I forgot that I didn't even think about the pedals. It's like, whatever, it's a no issue, but now all of a sudden I'm tired. My legs are worn out and I have to pop my feet out, not like just unclip them like you should. And then it didn't work right. So Mm -hmm. I paid for my, you know, overlooking the small things, which we do. So live and learn. Yeah. Live and learn. So. And that's why I tell all of my clients, you know, when we go out for extra long runs, I don't care about you attempting to like go race pace or anything else. I just want you to test out your gear, test out your fuel, you know, test your body, see what aches and pains come on when, test your mental state, you know, make sure you're testing all of your like coping strategies. I want to figure out a plan. I don't want you to have a true trial run you don't need it your training is there you got to make sure that your gear is set you got to make sure that your head is right yeah and that's one of the big things that i was like for me it's one of those i know i know what foods aren't gonna upset my stomach in the middle of a run because we've all had that one where all of a sudden we eat the wrong foods in the middle of run and your body's Mm -hmm. like hey your body doesn't like this you better find a porta potty now or you're going to be one of those like pictures that people show of you know with things running down the back of your leg so you better hurry up (laughs) so and i've seen those pictures of those and i'm like i get it i do i mean Mm -hmm. you know you eat the wrong thing so i mean i know what i can eat when i'm running i know what works for me i know what works good for fuel but at the same time what fuel can i at different times like we've had this conversation before like before race you know carbs whatever carb up but then when you're running the race you need quick 
Mm-hmm. You, know, you need quick energy, not carb energy. So for me, I know exactly. I mean, protein pucks work great for me when I'm running because they're small, compact. I can grab them, just go. Um, you know, I know what I, I, you know, I know what fuels I like. I know everything else. I mean, goose I can have right in the beginning, but once I get to a race, anything with that texture, I start mm-hmm. gagging. So I can't yep. like, once I'm into the race and like, you start getting that dry mouth, even though I'm drinking everything I should, you still, you know what I'm talking about. You've done it when you're racing. So oh, I yeah. can't do you know the gummies of the goose because it's like mm-hmm. and then it feels like it's getting stuck in your throat so i gotta yeah. and those are things that you know it's hard to figure out unless you do it while you're training because that's one of those things i've had goose and i've had you know the gummies when i wasn't you know mm-hmm. 14 miles into a 26 mile race and i was okay on like a 5k or a 10k but then all of a sudden it, you know at 12 miles and i try it and i'm like oh and that's what yep. you got to watch out for. So, and that's why I always tell everyone, you know, don't ever take something that you're not used to having. Oh yeah. And especially people who are maybe running a marathon or mm-hmm. they're running a trail ultra where they have, you know, the, the aid stations. Mm-hmm. Like I know seeing a giant table full of food is the best site for any ultra racer. But if you haven't tried out the stuff that's on the table, don't take it. Because, yeah, pizza may be great for you, you know, on any Friday night. But if you haven't tried running while eating pizza or, you know, anything else, it could have an adverse effect on you. Same with anything else. So I I know last time we talked about my client who had run the Disney Marathon and she was saying how, you know, she took Gatorade at the aid stations and, you know, she had a couple other things. And I said, well, did you train with those things? Oh no, but I I didn't bring out a hydration belt or I I didn't bring out all that stuff for the marathon. I said, why not? You're training with it all. Why, you know, even so much as, oh, the water at the Disney marathon tasted disgusting. Okay. Well, if if you're going someplace and you don't know what their local water tastes like, yeah. if you're not, if you know that you like the taste of, you know, Essentia or whatever else, fill your bottles with Essentia. Don't rely on the local water. Yeah. Because okay. there could be something that upsets your stomach. Yeah. Use what you know. And that's one of the big ones. It's like, you know, when I did like the the one, a couple of marathons I've done, I will go as far as to look onto their website to see what they do use. Mm-hmm. So, like when I did the one, you know, and I keep mentioning the one I did in 439, because I did it in a completely different way than I normally did. I just had a fanny pack, which I know whole 1990s fanny pack. But all I had was <laughs> a couple a protein puck, some honey waffle, you know, some honey stingers, because that's what I eat all the time. So mm-hmm. and I know they work well for me. And they had goo, so I didn't want goo because I knew I was running a marathon. I didn't want that, but I knew what they were using for water was noon for hydration. And I'm like, that's what I drink anyway. So I knew that was going to work for me. So I didn't bring a hydration pack mm-hmm. because I knew they had hydration stations every three miles and I knew it was noon. And I'm like, okay, I know that's what I drink anyway. I know that's going to work for me. And that's one of those things. A lot of times I'll look at what do they have at their stations? And that's going to change what I'm going to bring with me. Because unless I have to carry, it's like, oh, I don't have to carry a pack. 
awesome. I can put everything just in a little, you know, and it's not really a fanny pack. It's one of the, you know, the bib holders or whatever, mm-hmm. but it was one of those. Now I don't have to carry. Cause normally I would have taken a whole hydration pack. Like when the last marathon I did Seattle marathon, I knew they didn't use, they used Gatorade and Gatorade doesn't work well for me. Yeah, It's too sugary. And I don't like, you know, I don't like how it makes me feel. So I don't drink Gatorade. And it's like, well, I don't like Gatorade, so I'm not going to use their Gatorade. And all they had for fuel was goo. So I'm going to go with, you know, something else that I know. So I'm going to bring an entire pack. You know, and it's not a huge hydration pack, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring my own hydration because I don't want to drink what they have. And a lot of times people don't think about that. What are, you know, maybe they have what I need. Because like, you know, a lot of like the Spartans have been, you know, the last couple of years, it has been like the pickle juice. I love pickle juice. Mm-hmm. I use it all the time. I get the little things for, for myself. I get the little shots of it, you know, which is great. And then they've had honey stingers. I'm like, yep. cool. I don't need to bring, you know, fuel because I know I can drink. I can eat honey stingers, you know, the waffles even on, you know, mm-hmm. whenever. And I'm fine. And a honey stinger works well for me. But the water, theirs is just straight water, whatever. It's water out of a, you know, whatever. And I'll be fine. But usually I still bring my own pack because I'm used to the, yeah. Yeah. The goon, you know, noon. And honestly, that's like you said, doing your research, finding out what they have first, Mm -hmm. like before the race is probably one of the smartest things you can do, because especially if you're traveling to a race, you don't want to have to go out and buy absolutely everything when you get there. Um, And the worst of everything is when you finish up a race and you have an overabundance of supplies that you didn't use. And then it's like, I have to get on a plane. What do I do with all this stuff? Oh, I have to eat it. And then you just feel like junk. So it, it really is. It's so incredibly important to test out Mm -hmm. the fuel, the gear, develop that plan more than anything else, because you don't want any surprises on race day because it can derail you very quickly. Even if it is something just so much as I don't like the taste of Disney water. Yeah. And then you're not drinking enough water. The next thing you know, you're dehydrated. Yeah. And things aren't going well. And I mean, a lot of it too, is just to think about even things like you mentioned earlier, things you eat all the time that are fine during a race. They may not be, mm-hmm. you know, like we mentioned Sisu. That was my problem last year. A lot of people know that I quit in the middle of the night. Like I'm done because my body cramped, but a lot of people don't know. I know why it cramped. And that's why did it cramp? I, I had a cup of noodle. Oh, okay. So because my one of my uh, Serena, who I love to death, she's basically a race wife when we do this. It's Christine's wife, Serena. She mm-hmm. basically she only comes basically to take care of the team. Awesome. <laughs> so she doesn't race. She just takes care of us. And she didn't feel like I was eating enough because usually I bring either wraps and I like peanut butter, uh, peanut butter sandwiches. You know, that's what I like for my fuel on race day because it's quick, you know, energy. And she thought I needed to eat more. So she like kept bugging me. And I'm like, fine, I'll have a cup of noodle real quick which I'm fine with normally, but in the middle of a race, all the sodium, everything else, I'm mm-hmm. my body, you know, within 20 minutes taking, I ate that and then went to run. And within 20 minutes, my whole body started cramping. And I'm like, oh. yeah, I know what that is. That That's all the sodium and everything in that cup of noodle, you know, which, cause it's not what I'm used to eating. I mm-hmm. drink, drink uh, eat a lot of salt when I'm running, mm-hmm. you know, and all of a sudden I hit all that sodium and I don't have a lot of sodium in my diet anyway. So, you know, when I'm already you know, beating the crap out of my body. Cause I would think I was at mile 38 and like 5,000 feet elevation at that point. Oh <laughs> yeah. 
So and all of a sudden I have all that and it's like, nope, body's like, we're done. This is it. You know, mm-hmm. and those are like that thing. And I knew exactly when it happened. I'm like, I know what this is. I, I, I ate something I shouldn't have. I'm not used to having that on, you know, during race day. I should have stuck with what I had. What I did find that weekend though, that worked really well, case it is. Yeah. Just a flat out, you know, take a, a tortilla shell, put some cheddar cheese in it, melt them, go. Quesadillas were my like jam. Amazing. I have heard that from other people. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, they were making them there on, on site. Uh, Tony was making them. And I was like, I'll try a quesadilla. Why not? Because I eat them all the time anyway. And those actually ended up working out beautifully. So they would work really well with my, my like I said, peanut butter sandwiches. I love peanut butter yeah. sandwiches. No jelly, just peanut butter. <laughs> Straight peanut butter sandwich. So for me, uh, ham and pineapple pizza. I love Hawaiian pizza. Um, but the pineapple belongs on pizza. Pineapple does belong on pizza. But pineapple is great for electrolytes. I'll eat pineapple eating up to race day because it is natural water, natural electrolytes. I drink. I and eat then, a lot of pineapple. And then, um, getting cold cuts is really good during ultras. So ham, pineapple, and then pizza, it's always going to be a really fast acting carb. Mm-hmm. So I just go out while eating a slice of ham and pineapple pizza. I'm good. Um, and then also cayenne is known for resetting like the, the receptors mm-hmm. and can like similar to mustard, it'll prevent cramping or it'll stop cramping. So I sometimes will bring, um, will get, put some Buffalo chicken dip in my pit and I'll get like tortilla chip with Buffalo chicken dip because it's fats, it's carbs mm-hmm. and it's got that cayenne to help, you know, offset any kind of cramping misfiring. I put cayenne on almost everything. So <laughs> I love cayenne. But one of my, yeah. one of, one of my clients actually gave me um, little bottles. Like, you know how they have that those pickle juice, like mm-hmm. sport bottles. Apparently, they also make those little sport bottles of cayenne sauce. And they call it a hot shot or something. And when you're starting to cramp, you just pop open one of these bottles of hot sauce. And you take a shot of hot sauce. I'm going to so, have those because that sounds amazing. Well, I mean, isn't that also a punishment for World's Toughest Mudder? Does it? I think so. I think they've done that okay a that. few times. That where... wouldn't be a punishment. I'd be like, sweet, let's go. Yeah, I've heard that they, they'll do hot shot sauces as punishment for or like penalties. I would rather have obstacles. that than the shocks. So yeah. <laughs> I've still knock on wood. I know it's gonna happen this year. I've never been shocked at a tough mother. Oh, I have been, yeah, a couple times. I've only ran one Tough Mudder, so. (laughs) I'll be honest. I mean, it's one of the, me and a friend were talking the other day. I mean, out of the the big races that we usually get up here, um, Tough Mudder is the one that I'd want to do. I don't know if I want to do the other brand. I mean, like I said, I've been, I I, I have issues right now with them, so. Yeah. But that's a personal thing, and it's really not them. It's one person, but that works for them. Yeah, I, so, and I'll ask you this since you're in West Coast, on the West Coast, like you might have seen something that I didn't, but I know they brought out those test obstacles in December 
and they said they're bringing new obstacles to their course. They just ran their first race of the year in SoCal. Mm-hmm. I I know that they changed up the spear, and I'm not a big fan of them making the spear throw harder. Yeah, they made it so the target smaller. Yeah, but you have to go through a circle. Did, did they just forget to bring the other new obstacles? Apparently, because from what I've heard from everyone, because I, I have a lot of friends that went to that one, and mm-hmm. I heard they took away on so on the supers and stuff like that where they used to have the table. Mm-hmm for the cargo that's gone yep. now which is good because that that hurt me actually i'm kind of mad that one i wanted that one to stay because i'd almost finally figured out how mm-hmm. to get step up onto it i'd almost got it i'm like now i'm never gonna i'm gonna have to build my own just so i can figure out that flip but <laughs> there was that and then i think it was a difference on the the rig i have heard that they are um standardizing uh, yeah. more of the obstacles so they're keeping difficulty level the same across all three distances yeah so um, the rig i heard it was it's there was none of the hanging i mean there was the rings and the bar and that was it and they stuck with that through the whole time for both the super and the sprint yeah. i don't think there was a beast this weekend no there wasn't it was just but a super i had heard sprint. that they were going to leave the super level as the base Mm-hmm. but we hadn't seen it like I, when yeah. i ran fenway i was expecting rings and barks everybody said that the sprint level rig was gone and they were going to have a bar on all of the sprints now and they didn't have the stadium which i still consider a stadium a sprint yeah and it's one of the things i'll be honest i prefer the bar over the rings mm-hmm. the yeah. bar is easier for me than the rings yeah. so i can grip it better so but you know, it is what it is. So I, I yeah. heard a few people, uh, different things on that. So, I mean, we'll see what happens with it. But like I said, I, I, as of right now, the only ones I'm planning on are the two that we mentioned. I, if I do a Tough Mudder, if we're already in Texas, I'll probably do World's Tough Mudder because we'll be right there in Dallas. You got to run World's Toughest Mudder. And I'm probably going to do it anyway. At this point, I think I just want to go down there. For yeah, because I'm going to be there. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not registered yet, but I'm going to be there. Oh, I'm going to register. But. I think I'm going to do World's Tough. But like I said, if I'm in da- if I'm in Texas yet or not, either way, I'm doing World's Tough, toughest. But I don't think I'm doing any of the other ones. Yeah. So I had a client that called me today, check in, whatever. And um, he's had some surgeries and he asked, you know, so how is the OCR world? What's going on in the OCR world? And I said, you know, things are going like it's we're in a weird time period. I mm-hmm. said recently, and I've been saying for a little bit that the influencer era is over in OCR. The influencer era is dead. I think so. We you are not racing for the pictures. It the things that are getting likes on social media are videos and real ath not to say real athletes, that sounds terrible, but Competitive athletes are not going to stop and pull out a camera and say, hey, can you get a video of this? And the videos going back after a race, you can tell they're after the race. So they're not going to get as many likes. So, you know, social media is not the purpose for racing anymore. So we've seen a lot of people get out of the sport because they're realizing they're not getting the same engagement they used to and they want the influencer stuff. It happens. Hey, that more power to you. That's fine. We are thinking about it and, you know, going out to all of the locals and with Spartan 
promising us new obstacles, we're in the innovation era of OCR. And you have people that are leaving the sport because they don't want to go the ninja route. They want to see more heavy carries, more tactical Mm -hmm. stuff. And it's not happening anymore. And people are getting away from Spartans, Tough Mudders, whatever else, because they don't want to see these standardizations. They want to see new. So you've got, you know, the OCRWC, you've got Savage, you've got all of the locals that are continuing to build more and more, and they're creating new obstacles. Finally, Spartans like, yes, we are going to give you new obstacles. And now we don't see it. Yeah. And um, obviously with innovation, you're going to get the influencer kind of stuff. You know, they can get videos. It's going to look awesome. We're going to get interactions. It's going to bring the sport back a little bit more. But I, I'm really curious to see what happens this year. Right now, when we're recording this, it is January 31st. Mm-hmm. It is not publicly known yet. I trust that you can not tell anybody for the, you know, 12 hours or so, but there is the, we are supposed to be releasing the athlete application for USAOCR tomorrow. Finally, USAOCR is coming back and we are going to be launching because we are developing the team for world obstacle all of their competitions because mm-hmm. we're looking to get OCR in the Olympics we are standardizing everything we are going to finally have this you know federation competition all that kind of stuff and again innovation era is upon us we are seeing so much changeover in the sport and now finally it's going to be happening and I'm excited and if you're listening to this and you want to apply for USA OCR, um, do so. If you have any questions, you can reach out to me. But yeah, that that is my prediction for the sport. I think there are going to be people, there's going to still be growing pains where people mm-hmm. are going to be upset that, you know, they're not seeing as many tactical obstacles. They're not seeing as many heavy carries. It's going into more of that ninja-esque realm because that's going to be the flashy stuff that we need for like the 100 meter courses and whatever else um but the only way this sport is going to progress is through innovation of obstacles and we have we still need to play catch up with our training because a lot of people are still only running the spartans and as of right now spartan is not giving us the innovation they promised yeah so we need to play catch up to get you to those new obstacles, the new innovative stuff that you're going to be seeing on the world obstacle level. It's mandatory obstacle completion at, you know, the world championships that are going to be held in Belgium. If you're on team USA, you're going to be needing mandatory completion. Mm-hmm. And that's not something you get from Spartan. So again, we need all of this innovation. Because now they've gone to penalty loops. Yes, Exactly. Um, so we need to, our training to continue to catch up to the level of innovation, because even talking to somebody like Sid, Aaron, the guys who are really building the most innovative courses, they say, we build courses for the elites. We're not building for the open waivers because we are thinking we want this in the Olympics. We are getting our 
national federation going. We are building a national team. We want OCR on a grander stage. And in order to get there, we need to keep building flashy things that we continue to do because at the end of the day, that media money is going to be one of the biggest things that's going to get us into that Olympics. If we can make this look good on TV, make people want to watch it, that is what is going to keep our sport thriving and pulling in more people. Yeah, yeah it's fun. We, we it know is. it's super fun it. and that is why we race it. But I know, you know, when those little girls are saying, I love gymnastics, I love cheerleading, and they see these women flying through these courses, and they're like, oh, what's that? That is obstacle course racing. Mm-hmm. And we we want to attract that. Same with men, you know, all, it's all the same. We are going to continue to grow the sport through our innovation. And that era is upon us. And, and I think it's one of those things. It's like when you watch because Spartan had whatever that show was that was on TV for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't really last because it wasn't a whole lot of that flashy. It wasn't something that we want to want to see. It's like, you know, one of those things that, you know, to really go back to like, you know, something that was getting big when I was younger was X Games. Mm-hmm. And every year it had to be something different. It was like all of a sudden, you know, what are they going to do this time? Oh, Travis Pastrana is going to try doing a double backflip. Oh, I need to see that. I just no. watched the Tony Hawk documentary on HBO. I love Tony Hawk. Oh my gosh, so good. I love Tony. But it's one of those things like that's what kept us going back was they kept upping their game. They kept making it more. And that's one of the big problems. Like we've talked about this, where I feel with some of, you know, I mean, whatever, I guess we're picking on Spartan, but they haven't upped their game in like four years. Mm-hmm. They're still right where they are. And they keep talking about how they want to make things so we can get into the Olympics. But I'm like, you're, you're not making, you're, you're standardizing it in a way, but you're not making it in a way that makes it flashy and makes us want to see it. and makes us want to keep doing it. Your heavy carries. Eh, I mean, might as well be doing CrossFit. Yeah. I mean, I can do the heavy carries. That was one of the things when I was 310 pounds, what could I do really good? The heavy carries because mm-hmm. I was a big guy. But once I got, you know, I had to get smaller and get into shape to do everything else. But then it's the same thing. It's like, you know, where's the, once I got this nailed, that's like I said, why I wanted to start doing other stuff because I figured out how to do all the Spartan ones. Yeah. Cool. I've gotten this one figured out. Give me something new to challenge me. Challenge me. Once Spartan became my comfort zone, which Spartan always says, get out your comfort zone. You have become my comfort zone. So now mm-hmm. I need to go on to something else. And that's where, you know, what you're talking about with the, you know, this kind of thing with getting the, you know, OCR, you know, back off the ground, getting it moving and challenging us. Give us something that says, oh crap, how am I going to do that? And that's what I miss. That's what, when I first started doing this, when you see this obstacle and you're like, how in the, okay, let's go for it. When now it's like, okay, I've done this 50 times now. Mm-hmm. You know? And I've done over 60 Spartan races. And I'm like, it's, it's still the same race every time, just in a new place. And that's where I love hearing that there's going to be more innovation. I want to see the innovation because that's how the sport, the, the sport's going to thrive. Cause you get a lot of OG people like us that are like, cool. I've done this over and over again. What's new. Mm-hmm. 
give me something new. And like you said, talking about, you know, all these other locals that give us that new, like something different. That's why I love going to them. Mm-hmm. And the best part is that they're, you, you think locals and you're thinking beginner race. These local races are not beginner races. Yes, you can run them as a beginner. You go, you challenge yourself. You, There is no pressure of if you fail this, go give me 30 burpees or I'm going to judge you for falling or whatever else. Yeah. It's do what you can. Give it a try if you make it. That's amazing. If you don't, we're still going to give you a high five and say you did awesome. And you're going to get your medal at the end. You're going to smile, laugh, get some great pictures. Maybe you'll have friends that have a camera out there and can take some videos for you. But the local races are now, you know, mandatory obstacle completion with these wicked challenging obstacles. And they're just fun to watch. And then when you do fail and you don't get it, then you go home and you say, okay, this obstacle, what my butt, why? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's because my grip isn't where it should be. Maybe I need to start working on this uh, this exercise to work on my grip. Oh, I'm not hanging well enough. I couldn't pull myself up. I couldn't keep, you know, myself going. I didn't have the lache that I needed. I didn't have this, you know. I mean, at a Spartan race, the most I've ever had to lache was like two inches. Mm-hmm. Because, and that's only because I'm short and I have small arm, small wingspan. You know, I've never yeah. actually had to fully jump. Like when you're talking about some of these and you're like, you have to lache. And I'm like, say what? You know, it wasn't until I did like Tough Mudder where all, where all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, that reach that point six feet away from me. How yeah. am I supposed to get to that? Oh, I've got to swing and launch myself. What? You know, yeah. and that's what I want to see more of, you know, and I was so happy with myself. I didn't make the obstacle, but I almost I got across the like six foot lache and then got all the way down to the end. And it was one of the swinging ones. I just lost my grip and went into the water. But I'm like, wow, I've never ch- I haven't been that challenged, you know, mm-hmm. in years because the Spartan race, I can do the monkey bars. Mm-hmm. The hardest one for me is uh, beater. And that's only because I have a small wingspan. Mm hmm. You know, it's not because I don't have the strength to hold myself up and swing. I just have a small wingspan and it's like getting used to that lache, but you know, and that's why I I love seeing the innovation from the new stuff and I want to see more new. And that's one of the reasons why I'm really happy once I get off the West coast so I can start seeing more races. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we're seeing the innovation over in Europe with world obstacle and Mm -hmm. with Obstacle course racing, world championships, not the brand, but the race through world obstacle. That is all going to be innovation from across the globe. And, you know, us Americans, we're going to have to lache. Lacheing is coming. I want to to learn how to do that. I want the challenges. Give me those challenges. You know, and if there's anything we can do to help you with the stuff you're working on, let us know. I mean, we would Mm -hmm. love this piece net to to help get those innovations. Please, please ask questions. Yes. I, I will walk you through all of these techniques any way I possibly can. I posted a video today from the Siberian swing at Abominable. It's Similar to OCRWC, they had the snake pit. Mm-hmm. Um, at Frontline, they have the mooring lines. You know, at Terrain Race, it's their Tarzan swing. But the only difference between all of these and Abominable was they don't have a knot on the end of the ropes. So it's literally just ropes hanging down and you have to traverse across it. And when I created 
the training video for the rope climb, I put in the caption for them to post that you're going to need your hooks, not only for the rope climb, but also for the Siberian swing, you know, the rope traverse, Mm -hmm. and they took it out. So one thing I really wanted to do was go back and film the video and show just how important your leg hooks are to traverse across these ropes. It was, it's not just about climbing a rope. It's about holding your body up so you can maneuver. And, you know, it's it, when it comes to obstacle training, it's not necessarily, oh, my grip's not strong enough or whatever else. It right, could just you. be, you don't know the technique. And, you know, the one thing I really pride myself on is cueing people. I know how to relate techniques directly to biomechanics but in a way that can make sense to people so if I can find a cue that works for somebody to tell them how to do a specific technique explain it to them and then make it them really understand in a way that their body can do it I will help do it any way I possibly can Um, because at the end of the day a rig is a rig is a rig is a rig is a rig if you know how to forward swing, if you know how to lateral swing, if you know how to lock off, if you know how to transition from swinging to lock offs, you're going to get through whatever rig is put in front of you. It doesn't matter if it's all rings or rings in a bar because it's Spartan, or if it's, you know, T-bars and wheels and, you know, fat grips, small grips, whatever else, as long as you have your techniques you're going to be able to get conceptually figure it out and then your body will do it. The stronger it becomes and the more comfortable it becomes with these techniques. Yeah. So, you know, innovation is going to really push this sport forward, but our techniques aren't becoming all that innovative. They're staying the same. You just have to know how to train these techniques. So, whatever the innovative obstacles are in front of you, you can quick say, oh, I know exactly what technique this is going to use. Okay, let's get it done. Because at the end of the day, we're still racing for speed. Yeah. If you have your hammer handy, you're going to get it out a lot quicker. Yep. And if you go, we go to the, you know, mandatory completion. It's one of those things we've had this conversation before where I'm like, my biggest problem is, is I've watched it where I was, you know, watching a course where going through, I would stop, do the obstacles, whatever. And there was someone right next to me who was faster than I was, Mm -hmm. but they would just stop and do the burpees. I would get to the obstacle, get ahead of them for a bit. And then by the next obstacle, they were caught back up to me and then they would do the burpees. And they, they just knew that they were quick enough that they could just do the burpees and then move on. And I've seen a lot of people and I've seen it on some of the, you know, the, you know, not a lot of elites, but you know, with the, the age group, a lot of people that just know they can basically rely on their speed and just do the burpees. I mean, look at but what happened when they had the tire flip. I know it's been a few years now, but you had some of the little guys who would say, Okay, I'm gonna race to the tire, I'm gonna touch the tire and go straight mm-hmm. to the burpee pit because they knew it was gonna take them a long time to try and get that tire it's not always going to be there and they're going to exert so much energy Mm -hmm. just to try to get it up to maybe flip it once or not even 
it's it wasn't always 100% for them. So they said, you know what is 100% me doing fast burpees. I know I can crank these out. I know a bunch of these other guys are going to be struggling. I'm just going to go to that. Yeah. And that's and, why mandatory completion, make them do it anyway. Yeah. I mean, obstacle course racers are a jack of all trades. If you want to excel at this sport, you got obstacle. Yeah. And, and that was me. I mean, like I said, when I was 310 pounds, I could lift heavy. Yeah. So that was one of the things everyone's like, there's a couple obstacles that were no problem for me. I could do tire flip. No problem. Because I was a big guy. I could do, you know, uh, her hoist. No problem. Because all I had to do was lean back and pull, mm-hmm. you know, just put my weight into it. And I was good. It's actually that one. I started having problems when I lost the weight. Because I didn't have the the advantage of my weight to use it, you know, and there was a couple of spare throw I've always been really good at for whatever reason. But you know, it's some of those ones actually the weight helps you and then you get smaller and it's like, okay, if you get smaller, figure out how to do it anyway. If you get smaller, you can still maintain your strength. Yeah, I'm not even 130. And I'm deadlifting 235 pounds. I do pull ups with, you know, 25 30 pounds strapped to me and I do these all for reps I mean I know I'm not the fastest when it comes to running but my strength training is not the reason why I'm slow at running it's because I was born with a deviated septum and couldn't breathe through my nose for the first 20 some years of my life and now I'm only getting faster at running while maintaining my strength so you can be small while being strong and continuing to get faster. You just have to train right. And that's it. Train right. Because that was my thing. Like we've had this conversation when I lost all the weight and got down to 180. I didn't weight train. I didn't lift at all. I just ran and Mm -hmm. did cardio. And then all of a sudden I did my first Spartan afterwards. And like, okay, lift this. And I'm like, oh, well, we know what I haven't been working on, you know, because I didn't work on the strength. But since I'd had it before, it was easy to get it back. But You know, it was not easy, I guess, isn't the right word. But once I knew what I was supposed to do and did it, I was able to get most of it back. But I mean, it's one of those things you can be all of it. And I think that's what I love about obstacle course racing. And with the innovations coming in, once again, we have to be all of it again. Mm -hmm. Where I can, I mean, I can do a Spartan. I could do a Spartan. I did Spartans at 310 pounds. Mm -hmm. Did I crush them? No, but I could finish it. You know, but you know, crushing it is a relative term. You it crushed is. it. I did. But I mean, it's one of those like I completed it, but it was one of those that I wanted to do better. But I mean, it's one of those that kind of shows that, I mean, no matter where you're at, if you put your mind to it, you can do just about anything, you know, mm-hmm. but I like the idea of the obstacle completion because there's some of the obstacle ones. I mean, when I was 310 pounds, there was really it was tough to do like, you know, some of those, but you know, I could figure out a way on most of them, even the monkey bars, I could do those. And, you know, even at 310, I could do monkey bars good. But if there had been a lache on that, there's no way at 310, I could have caught my weight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I did a six foot lache with freaking, you know, at 310, my both of my shoulders would have come out of socket. But, yeah. you know, and that's the thing, though, is now that, you know, I know those are in things I need something I need to work on, you know, and that strength of being able to not only get this wing, can I catch myself? Mm-hmm. You know, and all that. So, but we're definitely over that hour mark. Dawn's going to yell at us again. Oh boy. Oh no. Sorry, mm-hmm. not sorry. It's just no, so easy to talk about this. I know it is. It is. So, well, we're definitely going to talk about it some more. I just definitely yeah. want to talk more about, you know, the stuff coming up with the, you know, the innovations in OCR and where hopefully we're going to be going. I want to see the sport grow. I want to mm-hmm. see it get bigger. And I think it's, 
It's not going to be up to the big guys. I don't think it's going to be the big guys that are going to make us grow. What's going to make us grow is the innovations we're going to get out of the smaller, you know, race ready obstacles. You know, what we're going to get out of, you know, all these smaller local races that are going to give us those innovations that are going to make OCR world grow. Well, look at what happened when Spartan released their Tilting Monkey Bar at in December and everybody in Chicago said, that's Highlander's tilt to kilt They've already been doing that. They did it better than Spartan. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they. you also have it in, this, in Europe, like tilting monkey bars is not anything no. new to this sport, but every we people in the States saw it at tilt to kilt at Highlander Assault. And they said, listen, we've already been doing this. We welcome this. We want to see this on course. Mm-hmm. So yes. Like and I've seen it in multiple too. Yeah, they're going to take the ideas that are happening at the local races and saying, we love this. We are going to bring it over and create something similar. And, you know, they're the locals are putting the pressure on the bigger race brands to continue <laughs> to up their obstacle game, which is exactly what we need. If Spartan wants to spearhead all of this stuff with World Obstacle, figure out how they're going to do, you know, the whole race distances we do not want penalty loops in the olympics but no. everything else if if they want to talk to world obstacle and figure all of that out let the locals handle the obstacle innovation yeah and i mean that's it i mean it's let the locals ha- handle the obstacle you know innovations because they do it so much better because mm-hmm. they're not stuck with the corporate mindset of not only because that's where my biggest problem comes in. And I know what it is because I've been I've ran a company. I've been an operations manager and you think in your head, OK, we can do this. But how can we do it the cheapest way possible to be able to do this in, you know, 50 different locations every year? With so, you know, X amount of racers, how yeah. do we keep this functioning for thousands of racers on a given weekend with six lanes whereas the locals they're like we only need two three lanes because you know we only have these this many and hey you know our permits and our relationships with the venues we can come on and build over the course of two weeks mm-hmm. you know we can get this set and we need it to work one weekend a year or two weekends a year and then we can work on yeah. it and fix it in between there we're spartan it's like okay it's this weekend and now i need it you know i yeah. need it over here next weekend yeah, mass produce. We need it quick up, quick down, quick to haul around the country yep. and as little manpower to build it as possible because every Nobody single person that comes out, we have to pay that because nobody's volunteering. Yeah, nobody's volunteering anymore. Yeah. So they're having major issues with that. Yeah. People, volunteer, please, please, please. Volunteer. I'm begging you if you're not watching this on YouTube, I am physically begging you. Yes. Volunteer on site, get on site, volunteer. I mean, there are other programs, but I would say the best one is to volunteer on site. They they have great volunteer coordinators. Um, Mm -hmm. if you get to know them and you can you can volunteer on site, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. But then when you do volunteer, get your hands dirty. Yes. Because nobody likes that volunteer that is just checking the clock, asking if you're done yet. Yep. And not wanting to lift something. Yeah. Get your hands dirty and do something. well perfect thank you for as always i love our conversations thank you this was fun it was so i needed this tonight 
So awesome. I'm, I'm happy that I could help up. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Perfect. So we will talk soon. Okay. And we'll see you later. Yes. Have a wonderful night. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the BeastNet podcast. If you haven't done it yet, find us on Facebook, like, and share the podcast. Give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. All these things will help to expand the show in the future. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear. Yeah.